I wonder if you remember when you were a kid. Some of you, you don't have to remember because some of you are kids. And you know what being a kid is like from firsthand experience. Though I guess, like all of us, you may not understand completely your experience in this life, even as a kid, even being one, you might not fully appreciate what it means to be a child. I remember as a child, one thing I wanted, which was to grow up. I wanted to be a grown-up because grown-ups got to stay up past 7.30. And I wanted to see what was going on that was so good after bedtime. I really wanted to grow up. I wanted to drink coffee. Grown-ups got to drink coffee. I thought, man, coffee must be really good because they're saving it all for themselves. They won't let kids have any. We could say some of the, so the same thing about some other drinks, probably, but we'll, we'll choose coffee. I wanted to have some coffee. You know, coffee was kind of a big disappointment, wasn't it? When you first taste it, it's like, why do they drink this stuff? I know, now I can't go without it, but yeah. When you're a kid, you just want to grow up. You want to experience the freedoms of adulthood. Now, here's another thing I remember when I got to be a teenager. Then I got way less certain about whether I wanted to grow up or not. Because living there in the boundary between childhood and adulthood, in that sort of no man's land, it's hard to make up your mind because, you know, grown-ups take care of children in a way they don't take care of each other. Someone, you know, when I grow up, I'm going to have to take care of myself and maybe some other people, and I'm going to have the responsibilities, and teenagers are sort of well-known for oscillating between taking on the freedom and responsibility of adulthood and rejecting it and returning to childhood for a moment. And sometimes parents have a hard time dealing with this, <laughs> this uh, oscillation. One day you think, man, I could trust that kid to run my business, and the next day you think you can't trust that kid to make his own bed. And then you do grow up, of course. Here's something I've noticed about being kind of old. I might want to return to being a kid. I don't know. Well, today's passage that we're going to look at is about this transition, this growing up. that we desire when we're children. And it's an application of this idea to the spiritual life, to our life in Christ. And 
this uh, is in Galatians chapter 4. Now, this is a Christmas story, and I think maybe you'll see why in a minute. I just want to read it to you. Galatians 4, and we're going to read the first seven verses. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the day set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent his spirit, the spirit of his son, into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. This uh, text has this expression, when we were children. And the word for children here is a word for not of age. In fact, in the Papimenta Bible, that's the expression, <laughs> not of age, minors. And when we're children, this text describes our condition. The first thing it says about children is no matter what their relationship to the owner of the house, they're basically in the condition of a slave. Someone tells them what to do <laughs> and how to do it, what to, how to behave. Even the son of the owner of the house He's kind of on the same level as a slave. And then describing our spiritual condition, he says, we're under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. And then he says, we're, we were enslaved. Enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. And then he uses another expression for people in this condition of childhood, which is they are under the law. And that might be kind of a summary. There's other people watching over you, and God established in the life of humanity a period in which we were just ruled by the rules. So he gave his law, there's a right, there's a wrong, you do the right, you receive the reward, you do the wrong, you receive the punishment. It's that simple. You're like a child under the rules. You need the rules in order to know how to behave, and you just sort of follow the rules in order to behave rightly. Then he uses this interesting expression. He says, enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Well, what is that? The elementary principles of the world. 
Well, it's a similar thing, only I think it would apply to anyone and everyone, not just people under the Jewish law of Moses, but the elementary principles of the world. Here it is. This is it. You get what you deserve. That's the elementary principles of this world. Now, there's principles, so that gets spelled out in a hundred different ways. But the world operates as a meritocracy. You get what you deserve. There's a covenant of works. If you want a certain status, you've got to prove up to that status. This is also in the, in the covenant of works that Adam lived under. You sin, you die. And we, of course, live under this as a foregone conclusion. We sin and die. And we sin because we're already dead. And that is the child, child status that we have when we were children. We live under a management of rules and enforcers of those rules. And we're enslaved to that system of what do you deserve? Well, we live under guardians and managers, under the law and under the elementary principles of the world until a time described here. It says, until the date set. Well, this has to do with the sort of the culture of the day in which the New Testament was written. Because so a child would live as a child until a particular time. And the father would choose the time that the son or the daughter would become an adult. And in this case, there's, a, there's an appointed time for an adoption. So this sort of moves this child over into the category of the child of a slave in the father's house. And the father has established in his plan to adopt the child of a slave in his house. And he has set a date. So we were children under the rulership of guardians and managers, enslaved to the elementary prince of the world, principles of the world under the law, until that time God has established in which he has in mind to adopt us into his actual family. So when we get to verse 4, we read this, when the time had come, when the fullness of the time had come. That's the appointed time in the previous verse until the date set by his father in the same way we also when we were children. But when the date has arrived, when the fullness of time had come, in other words, when sufficient time had passed under this arrangement, enough of under the law enslaved 
to the principles of this world. When the Tate had had arrived, what did God do? He sent forth his son. Now, this is not the same word. There's a child in verse 1. There's a son in verse 4. A son. And to be sent forth is to be sent on a mission. (laughs) He sent forth his son. So there's a son, there's a father, and there's a son in God. Well, and we're going to have the whole Trinity in this picture before long. There's a father and there's a son, and the father sends forth his son. This is like the older brother coming on a mission. The grown son. What for? Well, it's right here. Born of a woman. Born of woman. Well, this should remind us of Genesis 3.15, where God promised to the devil that the seed, the offspring of the woman, would crush his head. And so Paul's kind of making a point of he's born of woman, not man. He's born of woman and he's born under law. He's born where we are, under the law. He's born into the covenant of works, if you will. He's born into the system of merit of you get what you deserve. And, you know, I guess we really ought to stop and notice he's born. The Son is sent to be born. The Eternal One is born. Now, when you're born, you're helpless. And when you're born, you're subjected to the conditions around you. And when you're born, you're subjected to your earthly parents. The eternal Son of God, Jesus, who never once sinned in his entire life, the Scripture says in Luke chapter 2, submitted himself to his parents. In other words, as a 12-year-old Boy, he made a conscious choice to submit himself to his parents because he is under the law which says, children, obey your parents. And so the Son of God is born under the law and the boy Jesus grows up in perfect obedience to the law of God. So he's a child, the perfect child. He becomes helpless. He's born into our condition. Well, this is for a purpose. It's right here. To redeem those who were under the law. To redeem those who were under the law. This word redeem is something you would do for a slave. 
He's going to pay the necessary price to release us from slavery under the law. The slavery of sin. To redeem those who were under the law, to pay the price for our release. Well, and that has a purpose. Hmm. So that we might receive adoption as sons. Now, it's interesting. In English, it takes three words to say what in the original Greek text is in one word. Adoption as sons in Greek is all one word. <laughs> it, it's sort of like that we might receive sun-making. And a person adopted like this, as adopted as sons, it actually has the word son in the word. Uh, the word adopted as sons means obtaining all the privileges and rights of sonship, including sharing the inheritance. Now, this was a legal status, so uh, someone could bestow this on someone else. So the father sends the son on a mission, the mission to be born, to live in righteousness, and then to pay the price to release us from the slavery of the law that the law imposes on us as sinners. So he pays the penalty for our sin and redeems us from the punishment of the law, from death. <laughs> and because of that, he can adopt us as sons with the full rights and privileges of Christ himself, the Son the only son of God who's not an adopted one. So we have this amazing change of status from child of the slave under the management of managers and guardians and under the rules and under the imposed punishments and rewards of all the systems of this world, we have been purchased out of that and released into sonship. So our relationship to God has fundamentally changed. We are no longer the children of his slave. We are the brothers of his son. Adopted into the household of God. Now, this has results. This has an impact, as you might expect. This has a change. This changes everything. This changes everything. Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son. 
into our hearts. <laughs> this is the second sending in this text. God sent forth his son, and that moves us into the category of son. And because God has made us sons, he gives us the spirit of his son, and that spirit in our hearts cries out to God, Abba, Father. Now, that's not just a change of status. When I moved from child slave to full-grown, fully privileged son, that was a change of status. This is a change of heart. This is a change of who I am on the inside. The Spirit of God in me crying out, Abba, to God Almighty. Just as Jesus, the eternal Son of God made flesh, calls God Abba, so do I, and so do you in him. This is a change of heart. This is a change of nature. And now I, am, I have received the spirit that makes alive. You see, as Paul says to the Ephesians, before all of this, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And God has made us alive together with Christ. And so... I experience the resurrection of Christ in the outpouring of the Spirit into my heart by which I can cry, Abba, Father. This is the Spirit of the Son of God. Now, we often teach this, the meaning of this word, Abba, as a sort of childish way to address God. And that certainly is true. Uh, like a little child addresses his or her father as daddy. It's a term of endearment. And that is true, but there's a more mature element in it as well. Because Jesus, <laughs> the full-grown man Jesus, addressed God as Abba, and Jesus, Jesus possesses all wisdom and maturity. <laughs> There's a mature crying out, Abba. In other words, this addressing of God as Abba is not something you get over or grow out of. It's always true. Now this is a term of deep affection. When I was, uh, I think probably 24 years old, something like that, I had just finished my uh, master's degree in, in business and uh, I didn't know what I was going to do and so I was in the middle of all that. And at that same time, my parents were in the process of moving to the Northwest, which is where I was at the time, in, the, in Seattle. And so I had some time 
where uh, for a few weeks or maybe a few months, I was living in the same town as my father again. And, but I'm, now I'm something you could call a full-grown adult. And I just have this memory, it's just a fond memory of my father, where we were traveling together between Seattle and uh, our hometown, which is a couple hours drive. And I, I don't remember exactly what he said. <laughs> uh, it's funny because parts of this, some elements of this memory are quite vivid. You know, I remember being in the car driving, you know, you're spending a long time together. And, uh, but he just said something that recognized something good in me. He just, he gave me a compliment. He wasn't even trying to do it. He just said, well, you know, you're kind of like, and he gave this little description of me that was very complimentary from my point of view. Now, that wasn't the first time my father ever complimented me, and I'm pretty sure it wasn't the last time. Uh, but I think maybe because of the stage of life I was in, it was extremely meaningful to me. It was like, oh, he recognizes me on a, as a, as a, like a grown-up. Now, that doesn't keep me from being his son. And I'm quite sure he wouldn't hesitate to correct me if he thought he, I needed it. But there was something so affirming in that recognition. And there was a, a response from me of great affection. That's what we're talking about. We're not talking about childish affection, though that's included. We're talking about real affection that might grow out of real intimate fellowship with one another and with God. And the spirit of his son in me addresses God with that same mature affection. And that's the sonship we're talking about here in Galatians, that full-on, grown-up sonship. And so the sending forth of the Son, the thing we celebrate at Christmas is this. The sending forth of the Son to be born into our condition and into the bottom of our condition, frankly, and to be... Uh, born under the burden of the law and to live in full obedience to God his entire life. Uh, we can't even imagine that. To redeem those who were under the law so that we could receive the full sonship of God. Wow. So... The writer Paul here concludes, you are no longer a slave. You are no longer a slave. If you have trusted in Christ, 
you have received all of these things, and you are no longer a slave, but a son. A full-grown son, that's the point here. It's like, you know, when you're a child, you live under the rules, and when you're a full-grown son, you live under something called responsible liberty. And if you're a son, you're also an heir. You're also an heir. The scripture says, if God freely gave us his son, which obviously is boldly proclaimed in this text, if God freely gave us his son, how will he not, along with him, freely give us all things? And so we are co-heirs with Christ. The children of God will inherit all things. And then he adds as though he needed to, through God. You could say this, by God. You could say, sir, you're an heir by God. Because God made you one. Not because there's anything particularly great about you. Not that you deserved it. Because this is breaking all the you deserve it rules. You didn't deserve it. You're a slave. God does not have to do any of these things, but God, because of his love, had determined that he would do these things as a display of his goodness and grace. And so we are the recipients of this divine favor. And so we are no longer slaves, but sons. And if sons, then heirs, because God has made it so. This is the Christmas story. God sent forth his son at just the right time for you and for me, that we could be redeemed, set free from slavery and sin, and made sons. In the context of the book of Galatians, this is all kind of like what we've been reading about in Hebrews. Because Paul, in the book of Galatians, is talking to a bunch of people who are thinking about going back. Or who are thinking that maybe they have some obligation in the law of Moses. And Galatians is the book of liberty. Galatians is the book where Paul says, no, 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 you don't get anywhere with God by keeping the rules. You broke the rules. And you are not going to recover from breaking the rules by keeping the rules. So God sent forth his son to deal with this issue. Right in Galatians chapter 2, he says, if you, could ma- if you could make yourself righteous by keeping the law, then Jesus died for nothing. There's no reason for him to die if you can do it yourself. 
And so Paul is writing to the Galatians saying, look, don't put the law back on yourself or anyone else. Live in the liberty that you have as sons of God. Now, here's something I've noticed in this life, now that I've been here for 60 some odd years. Liberty has another name. Liberty has two names. The other name is responsibility. (laughs) These are not two things that just go together. These are two names of the same thing. But in Christ, I move from, here's what you have to do, or else, to, you are a son of God, therefore you can I move from you have to, to you can, you get to, you have the power to. And I no longer do what's right out of some burden of responsibility or or, uh, punishment. I do what is right because I'm free to do what is right. And if you're free to, why don't you? There's no reason not to. So Paul is asking the Galatians and us by extension, do you really want to go back to childhood? To the life under guardians and managers, under the law, under the elementary principles of the world? Or do you want to live as a son or daughter of God Almighty and exhibit the life of God Because we have this Abba relationship to God. The love of God has been poured into our hearts by the giving of the Spirit. And so we are in a position of fullness. And we are in a position to exhibit that love in righteous deeds toward everyone around us. We are free to be fully human beings like Jesus was. And that means to live in fellowship with God and to exhibit that fellowship in fellowship with others. Well, if you have that opportunity, you're crazy if you just go back to tell me the rules so I can do it myself. Ugh, what a burden that was. And we have been set free because of Christmas Day. Because... God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under the law so that we could receive adoption as sons. God, in the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ, has made us his children. And so we live free in him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this amazing grace. Lord, I pray that we would just never get over it. We would walk around stunned by your goodness to us in Christ, by this redemption from our old slavery that we have received, that we would come before the throne of grace to receive help whenever we need it, that we would rejoice in the Lord always, 
that we would cast our cares on him, for he cares for us. Or we want to live the life of rest in Christ. Thank you for the Spirit of God who helps us in all these things. Amen.